Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. My name is Itzir. I'm Isa. Uh, and as we are recording this, um, elections have just begun in America. Um, it's probably going to be a shit show. Um, <laughs> votes are not going to be counted like on usual uh, election cycles. Uh, this one is going to take you know, a, f- a week or so to count the votes because, you know, uh, of COVID, uh, people are mailing in, drive through voting, and things like that. So it's going to get really testy. It's going to get really messy. Uh, and and in, in, on the heels of the American elections, uh, we thought we'd dive into the pop culture on this episode of Behold that um, best depicts the strengths, failures, absurdities, paradoxes <laughs> of the American political system. Yeah. And the American politicians running it. Uh, so that will be the theme of this episode. But uh, before we go any further, I do have to remind you that the latest episode of Genre Ecology is now up on our Mixed Cloud and it will be up yep. on Singapore Community Radio next week. They're kind of taking a break this week. So if you want to listen on Twitch and Facebook, uh, it will be up next week. Uh, we talked about uh, lots of stuff, man. Um, ha- mostly Halloween themed. There mm-hmm. was the haunting of Bly Manor. There was Lovecraft Country. Uh, there was Primal. Those were our kind of three big topics of the month. Yeah. Uh, and most recently, Daniel Peters from uh, Singapore Community Radio also interviewed us about uh, why and how we do genre equality and behold. And <laughs> if you want to check out like our podcast philosophy, things that we like and dislike, and the origins of general equality, you can go to sgcommunityradio.com uh, and check out our um, interview there. Or you could just go to our socials. You know, you can go to our Facebook or my Facebook or whatever uh, and, and click the link there. Like, it, was a, it was a fairly long interview with Daniel and we both uh, gave really long answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, much like our podcast, even though we try and keep things concise. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, it's uh, it, it's good lah to to illustrate. Uh, and and Daniel didn't cut anything, which is which is great. <laughs> yeah, no editing there, so fantastic. If if you really wanna delve into how it got started, where we are now, why behold began, uh, then you know, please do read the interview. We delve into our thoughts there lah. Uh, but this month, uh, well, this week I should I should say rather, behold talks about three things. Number one, the West Wing. Mm-hmm. Number two, Veep. Number three, a very recent documentary on Apple TV Plus distributed by A24 called Boy State. So the reason we've picked these three topics, as I mentioned, is that it kind of shows the nuts and bolts of American democracy, mm-hmm. strengths and failures and all of that, uh, and different aspects of it. Um, the West Wing being an older show, about um, 20 to 22 years old right now, yeah. is um, depicts the, the idealism, the, the hopeful idealism that, that existed in American, American democracy from a different era mm-hmm. uh, 20 years ago. Veep, more representative of what it is today, um, <laughs> is, is a bit of a cynical, satirical farce, yeah. which began as an exaggeration, but ended up becoming prescient. Mm-hmm. Um, and Boy State, uh, incredible documentary, talking about uh, the boys and girls involved in uh, a little program in America for, for politically inclined youths. It's a camp uh, that gets about 1,000 to 1,100 kids to basically build a representative government from the ground up. Uh, it's a bit... Uh, it's an interesting look into how um, partisan dynamics uh, have filtered through the system in mm-hmm. America and how even the children are being trained to uh, approach 
politics and activism in in the in the same way lah. Yeah. Um. So if you want to talk about the system, uh, it's faults. What it can do, what it cannot do. Uh, whether it's good to teach the next uh, generation of leaders, uh, the system. Um. That's what Boy State is all about. But we will begin with the West Wing because mm-hmm. um. Just a few weeks ago, or right two weeks ago, um, the West Wing had um a quote unquote reunion episode on HBO Max. Um, yep. the reunion episode was a restaging of uh, a famous episode from season three called Hartsfield's Landing. Um, it was of course an election episode, and and the whole purpose of this reunion episode isn't nostalgia bucks, although you know I, I suppose partly that's it lah. Yeah, but it's actually to 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 urge people to vote in this upcoming election, and I think that's a noble cause. Mm-hmm. Um, as we all know, the John Spencer, the actor who plays uh Leo, um, passed away um during season four of The West Wing. He was replaced and recasted for this special by Sterling K. Brown, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting casting choice. Um, yeah. also important to note is that this is not set in a studio; this is set on stage in the um Orpheum Theater. Um, so it's more like a play rather than a television episode, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that as well. Uh. Um, you you haven't seen The West Wing, I would say, since like the 14 years since it's been on uh, off air. So yeah. I guess the the reunion episode uh, provided a bit of a refresher to you. I mean, um, what, what what do you think about the the HBO Max special, uh, and and what do you think about the 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 unique setup that it had? Oh man, uh, I really really enjoyed. It. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you s- kind of start to realize how well Sorkin's stuff actually fits on stage. Oh yeah, uh, yeah he started as a playwright. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and it's it's so yeah, it's so interesting to be able to kind of keep all the dynamics that you remember. I mean, of course, most of them were the original cast coming back, right? With the exception of um, Sterling. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, just to be able to kind of see that and the way they kind of set everything up. Um, you know, obviously with the stage, everything is kind of boiled down to its simplest kind of setups, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it really, really kind of highlighted how much the dialogue carried the series. Mm. Um, you know, and of course, all the sockinisms, right? Like, you know, it's just brilliant people talking with brilliant people about brilliant things yes. um, to no end, you know? Um, and uh, as much as uh, it has gotten a bit tired, I think, in recent mm. times, uh, the sockinisms, uh, rewatching, or rather watching this special, uh, really kind of reminded me like why the West Wing was as big as it was back then, you know, and why mm-hmm. Sorkin became the name that he became. I think like it is one of the most definitive of his works, right? Like his style really worked for what he was trying to do with the West Wing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I totally agree as well. Like, um, it, it, most of my close friends would probably um know my my love hate relationship with Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> writing. Um, just the previous month, uh, Sorkin came out with the Trial of the Chicago Seven on Netflix, a fantastic yep. film. If you haven't seen it, it it, it represents Sorkin, um, at his best, you know. Mm. But I I have also frequently seen Aaron Sorkin at his worst. Uh, so I'm, you know, uh, I'm I'm torn uh, between loving and hating Aaron Sorkin. You know, like the yeah. The maddening, irresistible proposition, right, <laughs> that in an Aaron Sorkin production is that speech can change hearts and minds. And, yeah. and Sorkin loves speech, period. Um, he features a lot of motor-mouthed uh, walks and talks where cleverness of the, of the characters kind of mitigates the fact that they all sound awfully similar. Um, quippy exchanges that ping-pong back and forth around mm. to an eventual callback later on. Yeah. Um, arguments <laughs> that rise in a calculated crescendo until one character breaks into a yell and the room falls abruptly silent. Um, so I've heard 
myself rant about these tropes for, for, for far too often. Lah. You know, at its best, you know, it is exhilarating, it's brimming with eloquent wit and insight. Uh, all you have to do is look at you know, a few good men, mm-hmm. Sports Night, Moneyball, The Social Network, uh, and The West Wing being, being at the peak of it all. Lah. At yep. its worst, it is didactic and condescending, mm-hmm. uh, featuring annoyingly smart characters reveling in their own intellect. Um, the newsroom, Studio Sixty and <laughs> the Sunset Strip, um, the Steve Jobs film, you know. Yeah. Um, so with in the case of the West Wing, it represents um, Aaron Sorkin at, at at his best, you know. Yeah. Um, and and the stage uh, aspect of the HBO special really elevates speech because um, stage is all about you know talking, speechifying. Mm-hmm. Um, it um, it Sorkin is almost quasi Shakespearean in, in in a way, you know. Yeah. Uh, ten, tens of phrase and and eloquent monologues just happen like. Like everyone can deliver eloquent monologues, <laughs> you know. Um, and 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 looking back at the West Wing, which is about 20, 25 years old now, you know. Yep. Um, how how do you think the show has held up? Number one, just um, or in a vacuum, like how you know, as a show, how do you think it's held up? And number two, um, how has it continued to reflect or not reflect American politics? Uh, I th- I think. Okay, so the messaging for for this particular rendition of Hartsfield's Landing was to get people to vote, right? And I think uh, to that extent, they definitely achieved, um, you know, a very powerful message, right? Like by by choosing this particular episode, by having the guest stars on, by encouraging, you know, all sorts of demographics to kind of vote, right? From anywhere from, you know, the male black vote to, to the youth, to getting Samuel L. Jackson on board and all of that. Like using the episode as kind of a platform to to echo that, Mm-hmm. That uh, that call to action, uh, I think was really really powerful, and I think it is a testament to the fact that many facets of the West Wing continue to be relevant, right? Uh, even to yep. U.S. politics today. Um, but even the, I I think I can't remember. Maybe it was Rob Lowe, right? Who at the mm-hmm. beginning was basically um, addressing some of the criticisms that the West Wing had of itself, right? Yes, that it is yeah. idealistic, that is romanticized, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, that idealized vision or that that kind of like pure vision of what it should be um, mm. doesn't lose any power, right? I think if anything, in this day and age when we are looking at, uh, you know, the way things are, yeah, currently, uh, it's even more important to have that, right? Because it gives some, it is a benchmark, you know, and as unrealistic or as unpractical people might claim it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is something to aspire to, mm-hmm. right? And uh, aspirations, I, I haven't been high for a long time, I think. Uh, yes. You know, as yeah. far as US politics go. So, yeah. definitely, um, I mean, I, I didn't revisit all of that, right? Mm. Um, all of the West Wing. Uh, but just from this alone, right? The fact that they stepped out of there and they did an excellent, excellent job at executing this special, uh, it really does have relevance right and even though it's not relevant in the way that you know a lot of the political satire that we're getting these days are relevant uh but there's hope you know uh there and using that as a message as a call to action uh i think is really important indeed you know i mean sometimes you need batman and sometimes you need hope, so you need Superman. And um, Superman is, this is the Superman of um, political television shows, I, yeah. I, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it was a potent fantasy, but it was also a civics lesson, you know. Yeah. Um, looking back at my young self in secondary school watching The West Wing, you know, 
um, it it was I think the first show on American television television that um revealed the nuts and bolts of government in a way that no other TV show or film had had ever attempted before. Yep. Which, which West Wing lah. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first two seasons of the show, Sawkins kind of overheated rhetoric, uh, showcased uh, comic timing and interpersonal rapport, uh, that really elevated his writing to to a. a Another level, you know. Um, most showrunners uh, don't function as auteurs, but um, Sorkin was an auteur, and everything that he does has his is very signature. Like it, it does feel like Sorkin <laughs> all the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, when he was on the show, he left the show um, during season five. But Sorkin claims sole or partial credit for eighty six of the eighty eight West Wing episodes that he ran. Yeah. Uh, which is insane, you know. <laughs> his his frenetic pace and all consuming obsession. Uh, were, were the hallmarks of the show too. You know, characters, as I mentioned, famously walked and talked, uh, <laughs> muddling through new strategy or more likely debating the finer points of policy uh, and, and proposals mm-hmm. with, with theatrical, quippy banter. Um, there were wonks and workaholics uh, preening stuffed shirts, obsessed with their own Ivy League degrees, but they were right about race. They were right about homophobia. They were right about AIDS. They were right about guns, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and and mostly everyone cared, you know. That was the joy of West Wing. It it wasn't a White House crammed with cynical operatives or or smarmy opportunists, mm-hmm. right? It yeah. it was an administration of patriotic, high-minded bureaucrats who were obsessed with your ability to do good. Um, it made the West Wing a political show via the the public service sentiment uh, mm-hmm. of of a show like ER, for example, which exalted uh, doctors. You know, yeah. uh, characters working early mornings, late nights, slept in their offices, came in on weekends, all in an effort to try to govern. Um, the the leader of the the leading country in the free world, you know. Um, so in that sense, it, it is a very optimistic, idealistic view of um, American democracy from a different era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you think about, yeah, this was this was kind of a liberal fantasy uh, in a sense <laughs> that the, the West Wing was, but yeah. you know, um, it had no shortage of um, Republican characters or GOP characters, conservative characters, and yeah. the thing that struck me as most hopeful and at the same time most impractical about the West Wing was that their opponents, you know, the from the GOP, the conservatives, were never portrayed as villainous. They were always yeah. intelligent, mm-hmm. good-hearted, mm-hmm. and operating on good faith. Yeah. They had fundamental disagreements on policy, mm-hmm. you know. They they disagreed on guns, they disagreed on abortion, they disagreed on immigration, they disagreed on race. But at its core, they were all respectful of each other. They mm. all believed in the sanctity of the constitution. Yeah. They were open-minded enough to consider each other's arguments. Uh, <laughs> and, and that is where I think the West Wing failed yeah. in a sense. Yeah, mm. do, do, do you think so? Yo, uh, absolutely, right? I think um, it, the, the assumption that, you know, people play fair in politics. I, I think it's the main kind of weakness. And mm. the real kind of, uh, the allegory of that, essentially, yeah. right? Uh, it was especially clear in, in Hartsfield's landing because you talk about chess, you know? Yep. Uh, you know, the rules are laid out. It's very clear. There's 64 squares. I'm sorry, I, I just got on off of a binge of uh, Queen's Gambit. Queen's which, Gambit, yeah. Yeah, which is a story for another day. But yeah, so with... It, it, it's well laid out, right? Like, there's a set rules and everybody kind of plays by those rules and, you know, the one-upmanship of that, uh, you know, is calculated, right? And always is calculated, which is a far cry from, I think, what actual politicking is. Um, so, it is a weakness for sure, 
But mm. again, right? There's nothing wrong with portraying an ideal, especially when that ideal, you know, could be achieved. Um, not no, could be achieved is the wrong way to put it. I mean, like, it is possible to get closer to that ideal than we think it is. You know, yes, it's kind of yeah. my, my stance on it. Yeah, it's just that it's so far away now that it seems an impossibility. But you have to keep yeah. in mind that, that maybe in the, in the mid-90s or, or the late-90s, mm. um, it was kind of erring towards that. I, I know, I realized that, that there were scandals in the Bill Clinton administration, of yep. course. Mm-hmm. There were, obviously, uh, the George W. Bush uh, era mm-hmm. um, wasn't ideal uh, in terms of you know the, the war on terror and, and the two absolutely unnecessary wars happening mm-hmm. in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, but you know that all seems really quaint uh, compared to the the quagmire that is American politics now. You know, yeah. um, they were arguing really black and white issues. Um, there was nuance in it. Uh, and and the thing is that there is no more nuance now. Uh, and and yeah. and the West Wing really reveled in 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 the nuance. You know, it 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 was such a Again, it was such an idealistic show. Mm-hmm. There was this liberal fantasy of of competence, intellectualism, and social justice in power, uh, and not just social justice on the on the Democratic side, but yep. social justice on the Republican side too. Yep. Everyone wanted what was best. They just had different ways of going about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, like the in, in real life, you know, like the for example, Senator John McCain, right? Yeah, was was the idealized uh, Republican opponent that uh, the West Wing liked to portray, you know. Yep. They were full of integrity. They had different points of view, obviously, you know, but they played fair. Um, and, and I think that that is where, uh, that is the thing that opened the door for a show like Veep, because, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so in much in the same way that, that you know, Sorkin puts conversation on, on a pedestal, mm. um, what we have right now is, you know, is the antithesis uh, of that, right? Now, now it's just shouting matches, mm-hmm. right? Literally shouting matches. We're getting shouting matches on live television during yeah. the debates. Uh, and like that is, you know, as anti-Sorkin as it gets, right? Yep. Um, so it's, I mean, I mean, it is a little sad, right? To compare what the dream could be, like the liberal dream could be, right? Yeah. With the way things are now. Mm-hmm. For sure, but you can't take away the fact that uh, West Wing has left a substantial legacy, right? Yeah. Any yeah. political show, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, henceforth or since um since West Wing rather, mm-hmm. um has some walk and talk, right? Like it's in Veep, right? It's in Boy State. It's in yeah. it's in Designated Survivor. No matter how serious a political drama or comedy or satire is in this uh, in this day and age, right? They all borrow something from that um, spirit of, of of West Wing and what it did. So we can't take away from how important it is, despite the fact that that ideal uh, and the current reality is so far divorced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, rewatching the West Wing today, it, it seems simultaneously right at once charmingly dated yep. and surprisingly contemporary <laughs> um uh, o- over the years you know like there there've, there've been like whispers of the west wing revival and i don't think they could do the west wing as it is today no I, I just don't think that that's possible you know maybe maybe during like the obama years it could have been done yeah because like i think that was like what the west wing was wanted la, for mm-hmm. American politics. You know, I'm certainly not saying Obama was, you know, uh, fantastic or anything, but he had his, his fair share of mistakes. You know, um, being a Muslim, of course, I'm very um, bothered by his uh, drone strikes and stuff like that. But, yep. you know, you, you know, I mean, like, it's, it's just not as bad as it is right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, 
rewatching the West Wing, uh, one of the things I do have to point out, like outside of uh, the thematics of it all, right, mm-hmm. is just like how deep the cast was. Yeah. Um, you, you had you had like Alison Jenny, Rob Lowe, Bradley Whitford, Dewey Hill, Richard Schiff, uh, Stockard Channing. Um, in fact, uh, fun fact, um. Elizabeth Moss had a first mm-hmm. ever TV role as the president's daughter. Yes. Uh, in in the show, Mary Louise Parker was on it. John uh, Amos, Jimmy Smith actually played uh, a Latino Republican of uh, amazing integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee Tomlin was on it. it. It was such a deep cast, man. Like, did, were, were you? Did, did you remember that all these amazing people were on the show? I because I certainly forgot. I. I mean, some of them kind of came back in- immediately, you know. Just as I was watching the special, especially, I was like, oh, yeah, he was on West Wing. Oh, yeah, he was on West Wing. You know, and it's it's so fascinating because I think, to me, West Wing, when it, when it was airing, right, mm-hmm. like, it was the first kind of, like, American political drama that I had been exposed to. And it was the first time I was actually interested in it because mm-hmm. of West Wing, you know. Um, and to see such an ensemble, of amazing actors, right? And and back then, like some of them weren't particularly like famous, mm-hmm. you know. And they've gone, they've gone on to do like kind of great things since then. Uh, to kind of like see all of them on stage, and you know, um, especially in the special, you have all these kind of like outtakes and like behind the scenes photos that they interject here and there. Yeah. You know, it really did seem kind of like magical to have this group of people together, right? Uh, again. Yep. You know, so uh, I think. It was a it was a great reminder, um, mm-hmm. of, as to like just how well crafted everything was, and just how much how many people, and how much talent it required to make a show like that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, um, director Tommy Shlami, uh, himself had about like seventy directing credits on the West Wing, and he directed a HBO Max uh, special. Uh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did a fantastic job on all of it. He is the quintessential walk and talk director. Yeah. Um, the guy that really films and um and lets um Sorkin's dialogue really just fill the room, like you know, like like without distracting you for, from it with unnecessary flourish. Yeah. Um, Sorkin's dialogue has always been the star of Sorkin's things. Um, for better <laughs> and for worse. Yeah. You know. Uh, but for a show like West Wing, which was basically pure debates, mm-hmm. the, the the West Wing every episode featured pure debates, you know, and and had really eloquent points for all sides, you know. Um, and as we were mentioning early on, perhaps you know the pure impassioned reasoned debates uh, is the thing that the West Wing can hopefully in- inspire um, future generations of American politicians to. Uh, come back to um, mm-hmm. I, I, I suppose but at, at the same time also a lot I, I do understand that like you know a lot of people have written about the West Wing over the years um, yep. in fact like a, a whole current generation of, of liberal politicians got into politics because of the West Wing mm-hmm. and it, the show left them woefully unprepared yep. for what <laughs> for what modern politics is yeah. you know so um, it functions in, in a Superman S sense you know but at the same time also there is the uh, just to be like a bit, uh, you know, um, fair. Uh, the the West Wing does have a lot of um, shortcomings, uh, in mm-hmm. terms of you know um, portraying the realism of politics. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's it's the difference between the West Wing trying to educate and the West Wing providing experience, right? Like the difference yeah. between education and experience. For sure, yeah. the detail in which it it represented, you know, the the political process and uh, all the nitty gritty kind of like details and all this anecdotal kind of like the 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 anecdotal experiences of the West Wing don't translate into the reality that it is, you know. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is fascinating. I think we might talk a bit more about that later when we we, we go into boy state as well. Mm. Indeed, you know, but as we mentioned, like hot of the heels of the West Wing um, after it came off air about 10 years later, yep. um, HBO came up with the anti-West Wing. <laughs> I, th- I think that, that is kind of what um, Amando Iannucci, um, the, the writer, creator, author behind Veep, um, created Veep as, um, as basically the anti-West Wing. Yep. It featured um, Selena Meyer, who is the senator turned vice president, turned president um, in, in, in Veep. Uh, and it was the perfect foil for contemporary American politics during the Obama era. Yep. Um, Meyer was self-obsessed, um, myopic, utterly useless. Um, <laughs> Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus uh, created a politician uh, who was so ridiculous that she was so that she was hard to believe, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Veep started out as as an exaggeration, a political farce, uh, something that was so out of the realm of possibility that it was easy to laugh at. Then, like something amazing happened in 2016 <laughs> during during Veep's uh, third or fourth season. Utterly amazing, Veep became went from exaggeration to an actual accurate depiction mm-hmm. of, 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 of the political process in America. Um, I think, um, what, what do you think about this, this, this sudden turn in, in 2016? Like, I, I don't think anybody saw Veep going from like a far out ridiculous show to becoming a show that most represented American politics at, at, at the current time. Uh, I... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think anyone could have predicted that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just just from with with the election in two thousand uh, in twenty sixteen, right? Mm-hmm. Like people weren't expecting the results of that, and I think it's very difficult uh, for any writer who's kind of sits down and say, okay, you know, um, we have this in mind. This is gonna be you know uh, the opposite of the West Wing. We're gonna make things as ridiculous as farcical as possible. We're mm-hmm. gonna make people laugh about it, you know, and hopefully w- within that there's some sort of moral uh, moral or lesson involved. Yeah. Yeah, and, everyone was incompetent. Yeah, like everyone yeah. is just flailing all the time, yeah. right? In the most ridiculous ways. And you have this entirely absurd cast of characters uh, that, you know, just... Uh, it, it, it is so ridiculous, it's beyond belief, right? But then yeah. for that to kind of like switch uh, and to, for that to kind of unfold before everybody's eyes, I can only imagine what it's like. You know, to be on the 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 in the writing room at Veep and just like we we can't talk real life yeah. right now. You know, <laughs> where do we go from here? But they still managed to do so for what an additional uh, three seasons. Three seasons, right? yeah. Um, Amando Iannucci gave so many interviews um after Trump was elected about how um how much pressure it was on Veep to exaggerate even further because yeah. like they they couldn't. Like in their wildest imaginations, they just couldn't do what was happening in real life, like, You know, like uh, it it was it was ridiculous, like, You know, like the imp- incompetent, flailing characters you were talking about yep. that represented Veep, Selena Meyer being at the top of them, actually felt rather competent uh, in in comparison <laughs> to to the to the people running the White House in in, in real life. You know, yeah. Um, it, the it was such unexpected competition. You know, the competition for Veep didn't come from an, from another show. The competition from Veep came from the news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but at the same time, also, I think like the the new landscape of American politics actually 
elevated Veep uh, to to the stratosphere because mm-hmm. uh, at, at at once Veep was kind of an obscure comedy yeah. that was you know very smart, very very satirical. But at the same time, like you know, not not many people were 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 too were too into it lah. But but I I think watching Veep uh through a comical lens um allowed a form of catharsis for for viewers who was who were so worried about the current state. Of, of America that, you know, it's nice to kind of just like look at it and laugh at it rather than be worried about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I I don't know if, I mean, I haven't caught up all the way with Veep, you know, but I don't know if um, they necessarily need to exaggerate more on top of the current state of things, right? Like, it's, it's all about the context. At, at one point in time, satire, you're pushing the boundaries of what people think is ridiculous in politics, mm. right? But, I feel generally like I've caught up. I've seen a couple of episodes of, of yep. the later seasons. Veep has more or less tried to stay where it is, right? Like even though they've tried to push boundaries here and there, they've mixed things up a bit. It stayed more or less what it was when it first started, right? And uh, reality as it is right now has far superseded that so much so that I'm I'm not sure if it functions as satire anymore. You know, you're absolutely right when you say like it's, it's almost cathartic. Uh, mm-hmm. For people to be able to look at something uh, truly funny, yep, uh, and and be able to laugh at it instead of being absolutely terrified at the way things are going, like it's funny because it doesn't have real world stakes, you know. Yeah, you know, like if if Selena, <laughs> if Selena Meyer was legitimately running America, of course we would be worried. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But it, the thing is, it's it's a fictional world which allows you to laugh, uh, You know, and it's better to laugh at this fictional world than than the real world that we have now, uh, You mm-hmm. know. Um, like I, I, I was reading so many interviews in, in the lead up to this episode from Julia Louis Dreyfus, who I mean, amazingly, uh, I do have to say, amazingly crafted yet another iconic sitcom character that is mm-hmm. as iconic as Elaine from Seinfeld. You know, mm-hmm, she has mm-hmm. just won seven Emmys for the show, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but like it, it, it does. Veep does suffer from from real life America, la, but at the same time also benefited from it. You know. Yeah. Uh. The political life shifted so suddenly and violently. You know, the, the show set out to point out the foibles of the political system yep. that advises the inscrutable wonkishness of Washington, you know, the focus group tested cynical policy decisions. Uh, but in the current political climate, it all seems uh, rather than, you know, uh, rather than a ridiculous sitcom thing, yep. uh, more like an actual thing that could happen <sighs> and has happened. Um mm. So it, it it does actually function more than the West Wing. I feel the V V function as a as a, a better way to address the current situation mm-hmm. that, than the West Wing was. You know, yeah. because it, it this truly depicted how politicians acted like politicians in the in a modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, first, it started out for laughs, and then it became really scary. Selena Meyer at first, you know, in in the beginning of the show was kind of. Um, easy to laugh at because she was ineffectual. Yeah. She was she was a female vice president who no one took seriously. Mm-hmm. The the thing where the show really turned on its head and made it a <laughs> bit more serious was when um spoiler alert like Julia Louis Dreyfus's character actually became the president and actually had real power behind her, you know. Yeah. Um her her turn from uh buffoon to dangerous buffoon was um spectacular to watch and so heartbreaking especially you know for the people around her mm-hmm. um her her turn to villain was done so well uh that i think like you know veep season seven came out at the same time as uh game of thrones uh, 
final season. <laughs> and and at the same week, they add episode. You know, uh, there's a famous episode where 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 Danny goes, you know, full evil, mm-hmm. uh, and Selena Meyer goes full evil. And and the way that Veep did Selena Meyer was so much better than how Game of Thrones did Daenerys. Uh, I I feel uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 insane that this like satirical farcical show. Yeah. Um. Also had like real character moments and real character arcs. You know, like I'm I don't want to diminish Veep as just ridiculous and all the time you know it, it's characters over the years actually developed you felt for them mm-hmm. uh you for for example tony hill's character you know he the, basically um <laughs> selena maya's lapdog yeah gary mm-hmm. you know I, I felt for him too the the this is the greeting relationship with each other <laughs> yeah was both comical and and heartbreaking mm-hmm. yeah um v, v, i think was in in the end of the day you know like years from now i think v will will go down as uh a more prescient show than the West Wing is. Mm, definitely, definitely, and I I don't know if anybody could have predicted that pre to twenty sixteen. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I I I don't like V ended at, at the appropriate time in its in its series finale. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because I don't think uh Veep could have gone further than it did, but it, it ended in a perfect way. Like, and and I know you haven't seen the Veep uh series finale. Yeah. Uh and, and you know there's no rush. You can take your time. The show will always be there. Mm-hmm. I will just have to say that the Veep's series finale is one of the most perfect, like pitch perfect series finales that you could ever want like, from any show. You know? Damn. It, it, it it ends in such an ideal way. I could I can't I can count on one hand um, <laughs> shows that end this perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna slowly make my way through everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm slightly more than halfway through, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Correct. You know. Um. I, and and plus, you know, I do enjoy that Selena Meyer is is kind of um, you know, like they don't just make. It could have been easy to make Selena Meyer a Republican. Uh, mm. but the, just the fact that she is a Democrat, yeah. you know, just just shows that this kind of like cynical incompetence and, and feeling happens on both sides of the aisle. Yep, you know, yep. in, in a in a polarizing real world climate. Mm-hmm. Um it, it it at the same time also, you know, the series is armed with the ability to analyze critique and hold accountable both the Democratic and Republican parties, mm-hmm. uh, making for a more balanced and well rounded satire. And and that's why the series uh so wonderfully defined the zeitgeist of, of today. Yeah. Mm, yep, yep, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, uh, wonderful social, political, comedic commentary. Uh, and next up, you know, we're going to be talking about a very recent movie that came out. I'm going to say three months ago. Mm, yeah, uh, and it was called Boy State. Uh, and I was struggling to. I wanted to talk about this film because, um, I, in my opinion, it was the best non-fiction film of the year. Uh, and I had no idea where to put it. And then I just figured, oh, okay, this U.S. political election special episode would probably be the best. A uh, place to put boy state, mm-hmm. um, and boy, God, um, okay, uh, you you you've recently seen boy state, right? Yeah. Like, how how about like you give the intro for it and and how you feel? Okay, so <clears throat> essentially, uh, every year, right, the yeah. American Legionnaires, um, they sponsor a a political camp, um, called boy state. Uh, there's there's a, two separate camps, one for boys and one for girls, right? And they yeah. invite, um a thousand or slightly more than a thousand um, youth who are interested in, in politics down to basically reenact the political process in Texas itself. So it's a, it's a film that's based in Texas. Uh, so this includes um, them being randomly sorted into two parties. Mm. Uh, and then from there, they have to vote their their party officers in into power 
they've got to decide on what their platforms are, or, uh, you know, what their stances are. You know, they got to elect all their officials and then um, the highest office that one can obtain during the camp itself is to mm-hmm. be governor of Texas, uh, of Boy State, right? Yeah. Uh, so you have these two <clears throat> parties, again, kind of like battling out. Um, it, to be clear, uh, they are sorted into parties known as nationalists and, and federalists. It has nothing to actu- uh, to do with the actual bipartisan politics of, of today. Correct. Right, yeah, right. completely... It also mirrors the bipartisan system. Lah. Yeah, it mirrors the system, but not uh, exactly the politics, right? Like that is supposed to be um, f- formed. Up, up to the boys. Lah. Yeah, it's up to the boys to kind of form that. Um, interestingly enough, uh, that uh, it, it gets formed along the lines that you think it would be formed, um, despite yeah. the fact that it, it was supposed to be randomly assigned. Um, so yeah. we basically follow a, a key number of players um, during the camp itself, right? Um, most of them being boys who were vying for some of the more prominent, prestigious roles um, mm-hmm. that were available during the camp, you know, and um, we follow them through kind of like their their personal stories and, and where they're from and all of that. And uh, they elucidate a bit on their belief systems and where that comes from what their strategies for compa- campaigning are and, and you know, um, why they're interested in politics in the first place. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of the the premise of Boy State. Um, yeah. And uh, I really, really enjoyed it um, mm-hmm. because it's fascinating to kind of see, first of all, like a very detailed look of how the political process in Texas is like, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Up to the, gov- uh, the governmental office. Um, yeah. But just to see how these boys try to um, fill those shoes, right? And try to, like, um, fulfill some of the aspirations they have within this very kind of, like, controlled system is is completely and utterly fascinating. Like, some mm. of the twists and turns and the way things played out, right, completely caught me by surprise, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, I, on the whole, I really, really enjoy Boys State. Um, how did you feel about how things played out? Well, I mean, first of all, you already know uh, that this is this. I feel like one of the year's best documentaries, uh, yeah. and and I feel like it, it presents a fascinating look at teenagers brought together for an exercise in government, as a civics exercise, yeah. which which somehow manages to unerringly encapsulate partisan divisions <laughs> in America right now. Yeah. Um. And 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 the, the opening medley of of past participants, you know, which include Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. Dick Cheney, Cory Booker, Rush Limbaugh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Amalito, you know, kind of only stokes your curiosity about where these particular youngsters will be 30, oh, 40 yeah. years from now. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and, and situated in Texas, sponsored by the American Legion, you know, Boy State was kind of described as a, a week-long experiment in self-governance, you know, a sort of um, mm-hmm. summer camp for for really really smart nerdy student body president types, you know, yep. uh, putting them through the process of electing legislature and eventually a governor and actually proposing legislation. Yet the intense lobbying and campaigning process exposes fractures within the American society, mm-hmm. as well as flashes of a win at all costs mentality, yep. you know, including the dirty tricks and tri- the, the, the tricks and tribalism that pervade uh, the political system today. You know, um, the, it's 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 permeated all the way down to our youth. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids have clearly absorbed talking points and tropes uh-huh. from the media they consume. Yeah. 
Absolutely. as evidence during all the speeches, you know, where where you know some kids are proclaiming our masculinity shall not be infringed, you know, etc. etc. You know. Um ultimately the film kind of zeroes in on, on the candidates for governor, like the high office representing uh the, the nationalists and the federalists. Um and, and one of the stars of of uh, of the documentary, and I feel like one of the more hopeful, bright spots in American politics is a kid uh, of Mexican immigrants mm-hmm. named Stephen Gaza, yep. um, whose progressive point of view puts him at odds with many, many, many people. You have to keep in mind that boys state in Texas are made up of boys from Texas. Yep. You know? yep. Meaning that everyone from both parties lean very right. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they all lean very conservative. So yep. there's, a, there's a lot of talk about protecting Second Amendment rights. Uh, but at the same time, Gaza's personal charisma uh, wins over some of the attendees to his side, amazingly, mm-hmm. you know, in, 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 in a very red state, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I think the directors, uh, Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain, have accomplished um, a seemingly impossible task of taking a group of ambitious, media-fluent teens and somehow making the camera feel like it melts away mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a manner that makes their, their interactions and even their posturing seems real and unforced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, already, one can see that the, the participants are not merely struggling to find points of compromise, you know, because that's important in politics, finding points of compromise. Mm-hmm. But in, in some instances, they are sacrificing core beliefs mm. in, in pursuit of victory. You know? yep, yep. Um, one kid says, sometimes you can't win on what you believe in your heart, yep. which is true. Mm-hmm. Admitting that his, his stated opposition to abortion rights yes. uh, is not where he really stands on the issue, uh, which is amazing because you know this kid understands that he's running in Texas yeah. and he's, he's not going to win on a pro-choice platform mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that that's what he truly believes. Like, you yep. know? And it, it's sad because I can tell that the kid has this idea that he can change the machinery from the inside once he's once he is elected, you know. But yeah. at the same time, once you are elected, you are beholden to the electorate, you know, mm-hmm. who who expect you to uh, fulfill the promises of your campaign. So that is the catch twenty two of American politics, you know. Um, it is fascinating, you know, like, and some of the speeches here by these kids who are what 15, 16, 17, Oh my god, yeah, are ridiculous, you know. Some of them just have me. Uh, Standing up, cheering, yeah. clapping. Yeah, I will follow you to the death. You know that kind of thing. You know yep. that there is a sense throughout these politically engaged youths uh, that they will eventually become leaders, um, which makes the apparent lessons that they have internalized and and the figures who they admire. Uh, you know, one is actually compared to conservative pundit Ben Shapiro, which is so scary. <laughs> um, so so it makes it both inspiring. And alarming, you know. Mm, absolutely. Um, it, it, in a way, I feel like this is the political version of Netflix's Cheer. Oh, yes. Yeah. That is, yes, absolutely. I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, what, what about you, man? Oh, man. Uh, some of the speeches here would, like, kind of blew me away, right? Like, I've never, I did some Model UN stuff back in the day. Uh, I've run for, like, student office uh, before, but. You know, just like seeing these, what, they're barely out of high school, yep. right? And some of the really, really nuanced, very calculated speeches that they give were pretty mind-blowing. I have to say, in particular, Gaza's, like, um, like final few speeches really, really got me. You know, the kind of maturity and the kind of, um, the kind of, of foresight I think a lot of them show during yeah. the process of going through everything is yeah. pretty mind-blowing, right? When you remember that these are like 16, 17, 18 year old kids, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and how that all plays out ultimately. I mean, I was rooting for obviously uh, the more liberal 
um, party, right? Of um, course, yeah. But to see it play out the way it did, right, and kind of mm-hmm. like the, you know, and the amount, the amount of time they spent after the results are announced, you know, just making sure, checking in with the the kids, and you know, seeing how they're feeling and what they've learned and all of that, it gives me hope. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a hopeful film at the end of the day because, um, at the core of it, right, if people care, they can enact change that is meaningful, right? It is possible to change minds. You know, mm-hmm. and and I think like embedded within Boy State itself, uh, despite the machinery of it ongoing, right, and the sh- machinery of it ultimately decides, um, mm-hmm. there are these like small stories, especially of just like kids coming up and saying, you know, um, I I I totally understand where you're coming from, right? Like we may not share the same thing, but I felt you, you know, like these things are things that I hope to see in politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping that the youth having these things as they are trying, you know, or aspire to like political office is an indication that in the future that might happen, you know. I, I agree, you know, um, with, with respect to, you know, Stephen Gaza, who is, of course, the, the son of an undocumented Mexican mother. Yeah. Uh, and also um, Rene Otero, who uh, is an African-American teen from Chicago, who mm-hmm. is just a maverick personality with, yeah. with a flair for progressive oratory mm-hmm. uh, that wins him the Nationalist Party chairmanship la, at least until um, impeachment proceedings happens uh, which was fired <laughs> up by racist attacks which are so yeah, it, it's almost predictable la, that, that was going to happen you know Yeah. Um, and, and for the Federalists on, on the flip side you know it's led by Ben Feinstein who is Actually, an, quite an inspiring story of a double amputee, you know, from 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 San Antonio, yep. with a pa- with a passion for Reagan era conservatism, mm-hmm. uh, and no aversion to playing dirty. So he is a complicated character, you know. Yes. Um. Is. Yeah, and and that that puts him uh in line with uh this kid called uh, Robert Madugo, who is um a handsome football captain. Yeah. Uh, the, the optics of it, you know, uh, <laughs> he has strong, he's outgoing, he has strong convictions. You would think that he is uh, going to be a, a strong player, you know, but he is the one, as we were talking about, who is privately pro-choice. Yeah. But yet, Roberts uh, lobbies against abortion because he's figured out that sometimes you have to stifle ideological stances in order to stump for votes. But yep. as you were talking about the inspiration part of it, it comes entirely mostly from Gaza, who is either characterized as a liberal snowflake amongst most of the populace in the show mm-hmm. or, or a quiet voice in the storm. And just the fact that this unassuming guy from the beginning who you thought could never get the 40, uh, the, the 40 votes uh, to, to even be a nominee for governorship, right? Yep. Became a frontrunner uh, uh, and somehow, based on a Black Lives Matter anti-gun policy in Texas, yep. made it so far... And 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 I'm I'm just gonna give a spoiler here because I think you all know that Gaza lost because he, he of course he lost in Texas. Yeah. yeah. But the, the fact that he lost by such a slim margin on such a radical I don't mean radical for for everywhere, I mean radical for Texas. Yeah, radical for Texas, yes. Platform. Yeah. It's amazing, and and as you were talking about at the end of the uh, end of, of the film, so many conservative leaning teens, you know, who who are very passionate about what they believe in, and yeah. and you know. This, this, uh, I'm not going to disagree with whether uh, with their actual points, but I yeah. think these people are actually you know full of integrity too. Mm-hmm. They, they they come up to Gaza or sometimes uh, mispronounces Gaza, uh, <laughs> which is uh, unintentionally racist hilarity. Um, and the fact that they tell him you know that you've inspired me, you're 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 full of integrity. Um, uh, I don't disagree with your politics, yeah. but I think you're you're the right man to to lead America. You know that kind of thing is is cool. Yeah. But on the flip side too, also you know like the boy state isn't. 
so high-minded as to not include segments where teen where teen boys are teen boys. <laughs> when, when, you, when, you, when you give like teen boys power, the yeah. 16 to 18 year old teens, you know, the, the chest thumping ridiculousness of bored boys in summer camp, yep. restless boys, you know. So of course you're gonna get scenes where boys come up to um the the, the Congress floor and suggest a bill on space alien invasion <laughs> or, or, or a statewide ban on pineapple pizza. Or, or just uh, full-on separating from the United States and making Texas independent, you know? Yeah. Uh, amazing. And, and Gaza's speech about why... Te- uh, just to shut down such a ridiculous mm-hmm. uh, bill of, of, of separation, you know, uh, it, by, by kind of framing it through the lens of what um, American soldiers have given up for the country yeah. to be united, you know? Yeah. Was was brilliant, like it was a brilliant way to 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 unite that everyone through common ground. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, I think the see the kids the kids here aren't old enough to own guns, right? Yeah, they aren't yeah. old enough to have any say in that. They are echoing the politics of, of their families, of their friends, of the communities they're in. They are echoing the politics of the day, right? Mm-hmm. That they've grown up with, and it's so fascinating to kind of have Gaza come as a uh, kind of like a pure, like a pure orator, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a pure kind of like representative uh, of 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 democracy in the Aristotelian sense, right? Um, and and say like, I'm here to represent you. I'm here to hear your voice, and then I will campaign from that that platform. Right? Was was one of the points that he made. Mm-hmm. Um, for him to be able to convince others, right? Yeah. Through through the power of his words. Through, through the integrity of his character, right? No mudslinging and, and you know, uh, just keeping to to his promises. Uh, it's, it's so interesting because then um, the all the politics that you've inherited, right, uh, from your families and so on and so forth, right, that kind of falls away and speaks to something a bit more um, human and a bit more um, in, integral to the human condition you know, mm-hmm. uh, that you need to care in order for these things uh, to work. So I, I'm I'm wondering if, I think on the whole, having a camp like this is fascinating, just not for the ed- educational aspect of it, right? Because it does give some insight into like, you know, maybe this is the point in time in, in, in teen boys' lives where you can mm-hmm. reach them, you know, um, in order for them to have a much more nuanced, a much more full, a much more rich understanding of what politics actually is, as opposed to, you know, touting and shouting um, what everybody else around you is shouting. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, I mean, at, at the end of the day, the, these are just boys and it's all kind of pretend, but yeah. but boys state, like, the event itself actually kind of de- delivers legitimate life lessons, like, as, yeah. as, as you were saying, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you, you won't forget any of uh, of the young boys who populate the film, and, and I doubt this will be the last you hear of them because I feel like, you know, they all have, uh, have you know, promising futures ahead of them mm-hmm. in, in both parties, you know. Uh, and, and for every moment of, of inspiration and hope in this... Uh, cross-genre teen slash political documentary, um, <laughs> you, you, you find yourself thinking that, by gosh, you know, these kids are all right. You know, there's some moments when you're just like so inspired by them. But yeah. then for every moment of inspiration, there's at least two or three jaw-dropping instances of these kids compromising their values with such cynicism that you weep for the future. <sighs> you know? yeah. So, so in, in, in this little microcosm, you see not only a portrait of serious-minded youths, but how their worldviews morals and political beliefs have been molded by what's happening in the country mm-hmm. by their parents mm-hmm. uh, and it manages to be both 
hopeful and bleak at the same time about our political presence and future, or at, at least in America. Yeah. And at, and on on top of all of that, you know, it actually functions as a as a real solid indictment of why um, two party systems are destined for failure. Yep. Because it leads to it leads to division, it leads to um, polemics, it leads to polarization, yep. uh, and it leads for non-nuanced arguments uh, because you can't have things in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, a, a great uh, portrait of, a, of, a, of, of America in a microcosm, the political process in a microcosm, uh, and, and just such a, a, a clear civics lesson for mm. people who might not understand how things became how they are in in the American system, yeah, you know. Uh, but at, at the same time, it makes it clear that like it's not irredeemable, you know. It it can be redeemed, it can be saved. Uh, um, it it might be bleak, but it's also inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, fantastic stuff. Like of uh, like I I thought it would be important to to present like you know two fictional portraits uh, yeah. and the two fictional portraits have to be on polar opposites you know one is hopeful one is cynical mm-hmm. uh, and for this you know non-fiction uh, as clear-eyed as unfiltered as you can be uh, that you know that is not you know presented through the emotional manipulation of narrative yep. uh, to actually watch how the future leaders are inspired by current leaders mm-hmm. and and why it's bad but at the same time it's me it's maybe not the end of the world scenario that all, a lot of people are thinking yeah, yeah 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 i mean like it it if there are more kids like gaza out there i think you know there's hope there's hope yeah indeed man like if you have not watched uh boy state you can find it on apple tv plus mm-hmm. uh it is a, f- a documentary by a24 the west wing uh, uh the reunion special is now available on hbo max yeah uh, all the dvds out there um i actually own all seasons of the west wing really uh yes so if you want you can actually borrow the west wing from me <laughs> or you can you can get hbo max to to watch it uh as for veep is also available on hbo max actually being a hbo show and all yeah uh, you can you can watch it there yes man uh this 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 was great um it it's it's nice to be able to dissect american politics by not through an allegorical lens, you know. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a lot easier that way. You know, it allows for more um, clear-minded views mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to get elevated above, you know, just the competitive shouting matches that's happening in real politics. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so it, it's kind of sad that we had to resort to watching TV shows and documentaries and films to, to talk about the American system, the failures, the strengths, the paradoxes, the absurdities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, because these things, I feel, really showcase the system and help you understand it better than the politicians on TV themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. man. Um, I, I don't know how many um, listeners we have from America, but uh, if, mm-hmm. if this reaches you guys and you haven't voted yet, please vote. Yes, yeah, you know, um, the, this this episode will be out on on voting day uh, of uh, in in America, but you know, uh, we we do know that the next week is going to be really contentious also because um, I think you know Trump is going to be claiming victory before the votes are counted, therefore he can discount the votes. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Hopefully, it doesn't lead to a full-on civil war um, or just, you know, like a, um, a, f- a full-on like military coup or, or whatever. But it's, it's, it's worrying times for American politics. And, and it should be worrying times for everyone because yep. Amer- American politics trickles down to the economy and foreign policy of nearly every country in the world, including us yep. here in Singapore. Yeah, I, I don't think 
we would be here in Singapore talking about TV shows about American politics if it wasn't important to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, you know. But like I, I frequently see, I think, like um, Facebook comments or things like that about like why should we pay attention to American politics? It doesn't really concern us, you know. It's, it's a very small-minded view because of course it concerns us. Mm-hmm. It concerns everyone, you know. Yep. Like the, this country along with the, you know, the, the two other superpowers, Russia and China, control the fate of the world. You know? mm-hmm. They control tax tariffs. They control trade. They control the, the, everything. Like our supply and demand chain uh, everything it's it's all up to them. That's why we should be paying attention to this. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Um. Next, well, not next week. Two weeks from now, we will be back for a new episode of Behold, mm-hmm. where we talk about uh single location dramas. Yes, we are getting claustrophobic. <laughs> uh, with some of the greatest stories set entirely within one room. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be focusing on the riveting jury debate in Sydney Lumet's Twelve Angry Men, which I personally consider. Um, to be the greatest film of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be we'll be talking about a Danish thriller about a police emergency phone operator yep. uh, in a film called The Guilty. Uh, I'll, we'll also be talking about Alfred Hitchcock's classic voyeuristic mystery, <laughs> Rear Window, mm-hmm. alongside HBO's more current uh, motel room anthology, uh, Room, room. One Hundred Four. Yep. Uh, and through through it all, these compact chamber dramas, I think, ring maximum emotion from minimal space, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we cap off, have you seen any of these uh, four things uh, yet? Uh, and which have you seen? I've uh, I've done 12 Angry Men. Okay. Uh, I've done the Room 104 episodes that you have previously discussed on genre. Gotcha. Uh, and some yeah. of them we watched together, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to yeah. go and, and brush up a bit more, especially on the new season. Um, okay. I haven't watched any of those yet. Have not watched The Guilty. Um, have Yeah, have not done Real Window yet. Okay, Either, yeah. yeah. I know it's a classic, but, you know. Yeah, I would suggest maybe you skip Romano for season four because it's not that great. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. But the best episodes are found in uh, seasons, uh, in season one, two, and three. La. Yeah, okay. I think I'll go back and visit the highlights because that's probably what we're going to be focusing on. Correct. Yes, yeah. You know, so um, a lot of old films uh, and new, uh, well, new, yeah, yeah, I, I have yeah. new stuff, you know, in, in, in two, newish stuff like, in, in two weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do feel like maybe we have um, too much of a focus on more, uh, when we think about classics, we think about stuff from the, the 70s and 80s, yeah. 90s, yeah. you know, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm personally a big fan of, the, of a lot of movies and TV shows that came in, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s too. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought this would be a good way to kind of revisit some of the older films that, uh, that you know, yeah. don't, don't have too much money and just rely on writing and acting and just pure yeah. filmmaking minimalism. Is this the first time we're doing something from way, way back? Hmm. I don't think we've ever done... Yeah. Any- probably, right? Yeah, probably. I don't think we've anything we've done anything like earlier than the sixties so far. Correct. Yeah. 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 This should be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This will be interesting. Yeah. Um anyways, um till next time. This has been Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh and if you're in America, go vote, guys. Yep. Goodbye. Bye.